Hi, welcome to episode 49 of Global Exchanges, a podcast about foreign exchange markets and related issues. In this week's episode, my co-host Stephen Gallo and I discuss the recent developments in FX markets and a few key upcoming events. The title of this episode is Parity, Powell, and the Persistence of U.S. Dollar Strength. Hi, I'm Stephen Gallo, a London-based FX strategist. Welcome to Global Exchanges, presented by BMO Capital Markets. Hi, I'm Greg Anderson, a New York-based FX strategist. I'm Stephen's co-host. In each weekly podcast like today's, we discuss our perspectives on the global economy and the foreign exchange market. We also bring in guests from the FX industry and from related financial markets like commodities. We strive to make this show as interactive as possible, so don't hesitate to reach out by going to bmocm.com slash global exchanges. Thanks for joining us. Okay, it's the 23rd of August, 2022. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges again. Greg, we should kick things off, uh, I think, by talking about the volatility that we're seeing in these FX markets, the notable volatility, I might add, even when we consider the fact that it's August and you do at times in summer markets get low liquidity extremes and currency pairs. But cable and euro dollar are now both trading at or just above new cycle lows. Uh, and I think, Greg, we can't pin all these moves down to thin markets in the major European currency pairs. Don't you think that's the case? Well, the uh, 2% dollar rally from last week was pretty broad-based. So no, I, don't, I wouldn't say that we could pin it all on euro and sterling. However, I would say this. Last week's uh, dollar rally was like the sixth wave of US dollar strength in the last eight months. And in five of uh, the six previous waves, dollar-yen has led the way uh, in terms of uh, USD strength. But in in this latest wave, we've seen dollar-yen stop about 1% below its July high, while euro and sterling have extended to new levels of weakness. So I'm going to say that while this latest blast of volatility is still a broad US dollar move, it's got a European angle in there too. So, Stephen, we, we did a podcast back in July where we postponed the parity party because uh, parity and euro dollar turned out to only last for a few hours. But how about now? Does this move to parity appear a bit more permanent? Yeah, Greg, uh, there are a number of fascinating things that I think are, are going on here for the European currencies. But more to your point, we talked about a potential return to parity in euro dollar in prior podcasts uh, and, in, of course, in, in written commentary. And as we head towards uh, a critical autumn and winter, we've got various risks that are building. It does appear uh, like this move to parity uh, has a bit more staying power. Uh, so, so maybe to use another P word, uh, we're going to pause around par while we wait for developments, or I should probably say, at the very least, we're going to pause around parity. Stephen, on our first pass at parity uh, back in mid-July, we immediately got hawkish tones from the ECB, and then they uh, hiked about 50 basis points about a week later, which helped uh, at that stage to prop up the euro. So uh, my, my question back to you, can the ECB go back to that well again, or 
might we have now turned a page to where ECB rate hikes don't help the euro and in fact might actually make it fall further as the FX market prices in recession risks? You know what, Greg, this is a perfect point to raise at this part of the podcast. See what I did there? A P word overload. But on a, on a serious note, uh, I'm taking a look at euro dollar swap rate differentials and starting to draw some conclusions. And I'm also starting to see that this is something I might lose sleep over if it gets worse, especially if I were a policymaker. So in a nutshell, a number of euro dollar swap rate differentials, uh, like the two year, like the five year, like the 10 year, they're actually moving in favor of the euro right now, but the euro has been under downward pressure. And so I'm sort of thinking, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I need to, maybe I need to t- take a step back uh, and, and look at a few other factors. Now, first off, as we said many times together, Greg, Rate differentials don't always drive currency pairs, and they're certainly not driving euro dollar in this current environment. But Greg, just because rate differentials are not driving euro dollar and cable, that doesn't mean they have zero importance. Because if I had to isolate a few fundamental catalysts, which I think have driven the weakness in euro dollar and cable we've been speaking about, those catalysts would be one the fact that European natural gas and power prices have gone almost parabolic again in recent weeks, the fact that German producer prices rose by 5%, that's a month-over-month rate in a single month uh, uh, during July, and three, the fact that UK CPI inflation is already at double digits, along with some evidence that second-round effects from wage pressures are building and signs that price rises are being passed on to the domestic UK market by manufacturers. Now, in that context, I think the fact that European rates are backing up has to be interpreted in two ways. Firstly, uh, that high inflation in Europe could be a bigger problem than we already thought might be the case, leaving central banks with little choice but to try even harder to get it out of the system. Uh, And two, investors don't really want to own many European assets until this process is finished, or at least until we start to see indications, firm indications that inflation pressures are cresting or that the war in Eastern Europe is in a phase of de-escalation. Greg, if I'm putting the pieces of the puzzle together correctly here, that might explain why European currencies are falling even though rates are rising. And you know, as I said a number of times in, in podcasts, it's not my job to try and predict the European bond market. Uh, But maybe we are even seeing signs here that the bond market, along with the FX market, is factoring in a larger risk premium. Because as we know, persistently high inflation or a hard economic lending has all sorts of fiscal risks. It has all sorts of currency risks as well. Maybe it would be a good point for me to pass it over to you, Greg. Can you step in maybe and, and, and talk about your experience and your understanding of the Fed uh, and, and how it relates to the ECB and other European central banks? So if I could draw a Fed versus ECB contrast or a US dollar versus a euro contrast, going back to uh, Q2 and, and also into July, the biggest worry in financial markets was that the Fed would not be able to engineer a soft landing. And because of the U.S. dollar's uh, safe haven properties, fear of the Fed over-tightening was U.S. dollar positive. And I'll argue that, yes, that fear is still there, but, but I think markets have relaxed slightly 
after Powell's partial pivot, uh, and then the soft CPI print. So now I, I think the epicenter of worry about the central bank over tightening and that leading to a hard landing, that, that has shifted to Europe. And, and where the euro is less of a safe haven currency than the dollar or, or the yen, hard landing fears cause uh, euro to fall, not to rally. So w- with that observation, uh, Stephen, what about sterling in the middle of all of this? I gather there are hard landing fears in the UK, but uh, how does that impact the pound? Yep, Greg, Europe is definitely the epicenter of economic hard landing risks, and that's a suitable way of putting things. Greg, I don't want to be guilty of hyperbole, but when you throw in the balance of payments issues we've been seeing in the data into the equation, I think we're starting to get faint signals of some European currencies behaving like vulnerable EMs. We're not completely there yet, uh, and I'm not making that call fully just something to keep in the back of our minds. So we'll save that discussion topic for another time. But regarding your question about sterling, it's basically just along for the same ride that the euro is on now, Greg. Yes, the UK is less directly exposed to Russian energy than Germany is, for example. But sterling now has its own economic overheating, competitiveness issues, and elevated inflation backdrop to to, to cope with. And large parts of Britain are still technically in drought conditions uh, from this very dry summer we've been having here in the UK. Now, based on price action alone in cable, I get the impression, Greg, that some investors have been sniffing around in the 120 area or just below and picking up a few pounds along the way with a 12 to 18 month horizon in mind. And I think that's probably the right way of going about things. Um, But I also think with cable having traded beneath its previous cycle low uh, of uh, 117.60 from mid-July, it did that today, some of that buying interest may start to dissipate unless something related to the picture I described a moment or so ago changes. For Q3 to date, I see roughly a two percentage point gap between the spot return on cable and the spot return on euro dollar. In other words, uh, the pound has outperformed euro. But I still see a risk of that gap closing, particularly if we get one or two more higher than expected UK inflation readings. This is, as they say, Greg, the real deal. And investors haven't traded inflation readings this way in a long time, particularly during the era of super low inflation. Thanks, Stephen. Uh, So now that we've explored in detail why European currencies are leading the way toward weakness, in this latest uh, U.S. dollar upwave, I, I do want to come back to the dollar side of it and verbalize on the podcast a point that I made in our FX Daily that was published on Monday, August 22nd. What I wrote in that piece is that uh, IMM leveraged funds have actually been trimming their net long U.S. dollar positions over the past few weeks. Uh, so the net U.S. dollar long against the IMM basket that includes uh, Aussie, CAD, uh, Swiss franc, Euro, Sterling, Yen, uh, Kiwi. That dollar long has fallen uh, substantially over the past few weeks. And, and as of uh, last week, it was worth just $1.4 billion, which is the smallest in 13 months. And, and to me, this is a really interesting phenomenon. Here we've got uh, the U.S. dollar offering positive carry against the basket. It's rallying. 
and yet speculators are backing away from their longs. Now, if these uh, speculators are geniuses, then um, they're telling us that the U.S. dollar is near its peak, and I'll admit that that certainly is a possibility. However, I, I can also make a flip argument, and I'm actually starting to, to buy into that uh, flip argument uh, more and more. The flip argument is that if the U.S. dollar is rallying, even as speculators are trimming their longs, then there must be underneath uh, all this noise of the day-to-day uh, -day speculative flows, uh, some really powerful U.S. dollar positive capital flows. And if that's true, then the dollar rally probably has more room to run because these, these capital flows uh, tend to have staying power. And just to cite an example from uh, earlier this year of you know how um, sometimes uh, speculators can be too hasty, back in February, March, April, uh, IMM leverage funds you know built up uh, very large yen shorts, uh, and they were right. The peak yen short uh, occurring on April twelfth, when dollar yen was uh, at about one twenty five. Then they you know they really started backing off in a big way after after the pair hit one thirty. And, you know, unfortunately for, for the herd, they, they bailed out too soon and, and they missed the remainder of the move from 130 to 139 in dollar yen. Uh, at any rate, I think there's, there's a risk that, that that happens again and just, just with the whole broad dollar. And with that thought on uh, the potential for these uh, deeper capital flows to, to be underneath everything, I'm, I'm going to say that I'm still reluctant to um, argue that we've reached peak U.S. dollar, even though I, I still think that we've reached peak pricing in of Fed rate hikes. And you know what, Greg? We may even be starting to see some signs of that flow in the Asian FDI data uh, we track. We updated our Chinese renminbi outlook earlier today. But we'll park that for now. We'll leave it for another time. Uh, given what you've said about Fed rate hikes, Greg, it's triggered something in my head, which is Powell, this Friday, Jackson Hole. Give us your thoughts. So uh, regarding Powell and uh, Jackson Hole, um, let me just start by saying we've seen some really interesting slash confusing uh, cross signals over the past month. So first, Powell said uh, in his July press conference that the Fed was at neutral with a, a corridor ceiling at uh, two and a half. Then a bunch of hawks came out over the, the next two weeks and did their best to walk back Powell's pivot. Then the minutes came out uh, last week, and uh, they were more in line with Powell's uh, less hawkish tone in the press conference. Talk about consistent messaging, um, not I, I guess I, I personally think that Powell's presser in the minutes more accurately re reflect the center of gravity for the whole FOMC. So I, I'm still of the view that the next move is a deceleration in the pace of rate hikes to 50 basis points. Yes, you know, I, I'll add the caveat that it's data dependent, but we sort of know that at least the CPI data will be soft and probably the employment data will soften too in the weeks prior to that September decision. So for this Friday, and, and Powell's remarks at Jackson Hole, 
you know, the market is presently pricing in 64 basis points worth of tightening on September 21st. And uh, I don't think Powell wants to move that. I think he likes it priced with roughly 50-50 odds of 50 versus 75. However, if, if he does end up moving the price by more than five basis points in either direction, I think that the balance of risks are that, that he moves it toward the 50 basis point camp. With that Fed view, I, I guess I, I see the risk of a bit of a U.S. dollar pullback on Friday. But if that's the way it turns out, I'd be inclined to uh, trade my deeper capital flow story and buy the dip in the broad U.S. dollar. And at this juncture, with Euro and Sterling ha- having led, as, as we've talked about, I, I like long dollar yen in particular. Uh, and, and also with crude on the rebound, uh, I also really like long CAD yen here. So, um, Stephen, as we wind down the podcast, are there any exchange rates where you see a really noteworthy tilt in the balance of risks? You know what, Greg? I'll give you two currency pairs, one where there's been a tilt in the balance of risks and one where there's considerable momentum, which I think is going to persist for a bit longer. The first is dollar China. So China's domestic problems have not really changed. The the backdrop domestically is still very poor. We always knew this. But what may be changing is that the balance of risks facing Chinese export growth is tilting worse or worse than expected, particularly if Europe has a really hard economic landing. Uh, I think in that case, dollar China could at least test the seven level, but it it might even trade above that level. So that's number one. The second pair I'll throw in there regarding momentum, and one I think where there's momentum that has staying power is Euro Norway or Euro Noki, uh, as it's called. You know, yes, it's true that an economic hard landing for the European Union, for economies in the EU that are dependent on Norway, that will d- dent commodity demand somewhat. But in the current environment, prices may not stay at low levels for long. It's just simply that way. So I think Euronox has still got room to run on the downside, and I would be looking uh, to the low 960s as the first stop, so to speak, Greg. Great comment, Stephen. Hey, um, should we wrap it up here? Yeah, Greg, let's wrap up parity, Powell, and the persistence of dollar strength to get even more peas into the recording. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now. Thanks for listening to Global Exchanges. Listen to past episodes and find transcripts at bmocm.com slash global exchanges. We'd love to hear what you thought of today's episode. You can send us an email or reach out to us on Bloomberg. You can listen to this show and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast provider. This show and resources are supported by our team here at BMO including the FIC Macro Strategy Group and BMO's marketing team. This show is produced and edited by Puddle Creative. The views expressed here are those of the participants and not those of BMO Capital Markets, its affiliates, or subsidiaries. For full legal disclosure, visit bmocm.com slash macrohorizons slash legal.